Hey folks, this is Anatoly, and you're listening to the Solana No Sharding Podcast. And today I have Kane Warwick with me, who is the co-founder of Synthetics. Yeah, hey, Anatoly, how's it going? Hey. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good to have you. Um, it's pretty cool to have you on here. Um, DeFi is kind of like, I think, went from being like the weirdo things that people on Ethereum were doing, you know, <laughs> being like the only, like the main thing that everyone's talking about. And it's really cool to see that happening over the last year. Um, so like, yeah, really cool to have you. Um, so kind of tell us about synthetics and yourselves, maybe how you got into the space. Yeah. So, uh, you know, synthetics has kind of evolved over, uh, over the last couple of years. Um, so I got into the space, uh, I founded a, a payment gateway, um, in Australia for, um, you know, crypto exchanges and a number of other businesses, uh, uh, online wagering companies, et cetera, as a way to get, uh, fiat into, uh, these, you know, um, online services essentially. Um, and so we worked with, um, a number of the, the crypto exchanges here in Australia, uh, like, you know, Asher from Coinjar, um, the Bitcoin Australia guys, uh, to enable people to be able to buy, uh, Bitcoin initially, you know, this is back in like 2014, 2015, um, over the counter, uh, and, and walk in with cash and, and buy Bitcoin, um, which, uh, was something that was really cool. Um, was, was a big, uh, big help, I think at the time, because, um, you know, banks were, and still are fairly adversarial. Um, and, you know, you didn't really have many Bitcoin ATMs, so there weren't a lot of options, uh, you know, to, to get uh, money into crypto. So um, I started that. Um, I, I was running that all the way up until this year uh, where I stepped down um, and, you know, to focus on synthetics full time. Um, but uh, back in like 2016, 2017, uh, we started to notice uh, the kind of premium on crypto in Australia was creeping up a little bit like what was happening in Korea, not as extreme. Um, and, you know, we thought that there was a, a good opportunity for launching a decentralized stablecoin to kind of help uh, to move money around, um, you know, to be able to kind of uh, close those those ARB uh, opportunities. Reality turned out very different to what <laughs> I think we were, you know, proposing back then. But uh, now we have DeFi and it's, it's, you know, probably a lot cooler than we were even thinking back then. So. Yeah, like what what most folks don't realize is that these companies are like people have been working on this stuff for like three four years, right? <laughs> and just like the right kind of like mix of like the the recipe, like a few folks have hit on, and like there's some product market fit, and that that's just really cool to see. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, it's definitely been like this kind of you know Cambrian explosion in the last uh, you know six to twelve months, right? Where you just have enough, like there's a critical mass of enough things that are working where someone can kind of come in and you know it's everything, it's tooling, it's you know uh, stable coins. There's there's a whole bunch of things that have kind of come together to enable this. Um, and so like every day, there's new cool platforms that people are building, uh, you know, on Ethereum, and and it's. Uh, yeah, it's exciting to watch, but it is funny because, you know, we've been sitting here chipping away for years and years, right? And people kind of, you know, not paying much attention or laughing at us, like especially the Bitcoin maxis, right? You know, not big fans of DeFi. <laughs> so, um, you know, now all of a sudden they're all kind of like, all the heads like at once, like just turn and look over in the same direction. So, um, you know, it's it's definitely been uh, been kind of gratifying after all the work we put in to, to see, you know, people start to pay attention. The space like uh, still is... It's just still like the same. <laughs> it's like, you know, we, we had like COVID and everything and the conferences stopped, but mm. I still see the same people online. I know. <laughs> like, I know. It, it's still like still pretty small um, in the grand scheme of things. 
Um, do you think like um, this kind of new rush or gold rush into DeFi is like one of these expansionary periods? Or do you think this is the startup one? I, I think it could be. Uh, you know, the, the thing that I'm always like after, you know, the wreckage of, uh, of 2018, um, you know, the thing that I always kind of check whenever there's like any kind of activity or influx of, you know, movement or whatever is like, where are we in the cycle? Right. And like, you try and like, you know, apply patterns or, or whatever, and it's never going to be perfect. Right. But is like, you know, are we in the 2016 period where like, there were a couple of token sales, like tokens were starting to just become a thing. And, you know, um, obviously like the Dow hack and stuff like that. So like there was activity happening, but no one was really paying attention to it. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't like, um, there were a lot of eyeballs, uh, there. It wasn't until 2017, like early 2017, it started getting really crazy. So like, I always kind of try and like put, you know, somewhere in that spectrum, like, is this like a early 2016 moment or early 2017 moment? And it feels like the, the, uh, like yield hacking and, and yield farming stuff uh, is like a, a 2016 style phenomenon. It's still very insular. You know, even if you went to like the average crypto person, they're going to be like, what are you talking about? Right? Like, I don't, I don't know what this <laughs> yeah, is. Right? So, yeah, yeah. so I, I think it's, we're not quite there yet. Right. In the same way that like, if you went and, and said to someone like, Hey, you know, what about like uh, this ICO, right? Like, or, yeah. or whatever they like, you know, Bitcoin Maxi would be like, I don't know what you're talking about. What's an ICO, yeah. right? So I think yeah. we're still in that 2016 period, but you know, it's, it's worth kind of sanity checking, I guess. Yeah. Like, I think you like yield farming is, I think it's better than Merkle mining. I think it has a bit more uh, something extra. It's, it's not just like a distribution mechanism, but I think it's yeah. that lost something useful well that, that part i think is the interesting part if you can combine both like in bitcoin you, you can potentially kickstart a community and kickstart the ecosystem for your for your particular product yeah exactly and and you know i think for us we were we were lucky in a way right because we we launched into you know march of 2018 right like it was when when we launched the uh the, the platform the the protocol and it so th that, yeah. that time I remember Cosmos launch and the price of BTC was 3,600. Yeah. Yeah. It was brutal. Um, <laughs> yeah. It was brutal. So, you know, so we, so we kind of launched into, into uh, just a bloodbath, right? Like continually. And there's, there's actually this funny like meme uh, chart that someone uh, put together in our community. Uh, like I think like towards the end of 2019 or, um, or sorry, like mid 2019, where it basically was like from our launch, right? Like looking at like the price of Bitcoin, right? From our launch through to like the start of 2019, every single time we did an announcement, there would be like some huge macro crash, right? Like we like spent like three months at the end of 2018, like putting everything together, like had this like huge launch of our like new multi-currency system. And uh, that day, like the price of ETH went from like, 150 down to 80 or 130 down to 80 or something like that on the day we launched right like every single launch every time we said anything the market would just shit itself basically so oh, man. Um, it was it was challenging yeah like my god this we had the exact same experience if you like every time we did a raise bitcoin would drop like 20 30 percent and literally i kid you not we announced our coinless auction three days later black thursday <laughs> yeah it, it, you know crypto keeps you on your toes right um and so yep. and so you know we launched into that environment right which was just a total shit show um you know people were kind of bleeding out of the ecosystem they were they were like leaving left and right by the time we got to like june july of 2018 it was it was just uh, a mess and 
um, we got to a point where like there was still a core uh, community who kind of still believed that we could actually do something. We'd announced the pivot uh, to synthetics and and the move to like this multi-currency system and a synthetic asset protocol versus just a, a plain stable coin that we were at the start. Um, and we probably had 25 people in our community at that point, right? Like by the time we got to like late 2018, there was like 25 people left, right? It was not an amazing situation to be in, but they were all like diehards, right? They're like, we're going down with the ship. We don't care. Like this is, you know, it's either going to work <laughs> or not. Right. And so when, uh, when we, you know, I've been thinking about this for a long time, like what is missing here? Like, why does no one care about this? You know, there's, there's a few people that are excited because they get it, but we can't seem to get over that like knowledge gap of like, why does someone actually care enough to want to learn about this and, and, you know, engage with it. Right. Um, and where I kind of went back to is I, I just kind of threw everything away, like all the assumptions, all of the things that we talked about and just went back to like total blank slate and thought like, what would I do? Like, you know, if I could start again, right? Like what's the, you know, and where I got to is essentially the thing that we've been missing was this idea of artificial scarcity with tokens, right? Like, you know, the ERC 20 token standard, right? says like, tell me on, on, you know, the first thing tell me is how many tokens do you want? A million, 5,000, a billion, a trillion, like tell me how many tokens you want and that's fixed and that's it. Right. And I think that that, uh, that single decision, right. In that standard to, to kind of lock in that default of there's a fixed number of tokens that will be emitted when this, contract is launched was the probably the most detrimental thing in that entire cycle right because it was this idea of like oh well there's only x billion of them right so like they're scarce and it's like that's ridiculous right it doesn't make any sense right and so um so we kind of looked at it and said okay we've got 100 million tokens right um no one really wants them no one cares anymore um what if we take these 100 million tokens and we say we're actually going to uh emit an additional 150 million tokens over the next x years right and if you engage with the protocol and do what we want you stake and you know you you collateralize the network and do all the stuff that we want uh then you will get more of the tokens if you don't because you don't care because you you know off in the wilderness then you won't you won't get anything right um and you know it's a similar kind of thought process i guess to like how bitcoin in the early days started right it's like you could mine it it was fairly cheap, you know, you could mine it on a graphics card or, or mine it on your CPU initially, right? And uh, and it was fairly cheap, you know, even for a couple of years. Uh, and it got, and the pain and suffering to like actually get, you know, uh, mining software working, right? was like, you know, I remember spending like an entire week, you know, and I love fiddling with software and like installing stuff. And it just was like so painful trying to get uh, a Bitcoin miner installed on my uh, home theater PC. And it was, you know, but I did, I went through the pain and suffering because I was like, this is cool. I want to do this. And like, I'm going to be paid to do it essentially. Right. Um, and so I think that, uh, that once we launched that and once we said, okay, if you do the thing, you'll get something. If you don't, you get nothing. Right. That was kind of the, the seed once we restarted that process, which was like uh, March of 2019, where it really started to work. Because all of a sudden you're creating this reinforcing incentive for people to actually engage with the protocol. Um, and that was the, the big shift. And I think we're starting to see people kind of get that now, right? Like, you know, things like the comp launch and, and balancer and, and, you know, curve and, and these guys that are basically embedding in the protocol, even if there are, is a fixed supply of tokens, they're putting aside a, a chunk of tokens to actually pay out, you know, so yeah, okay, there's 100 million tokens, but we're going to start with 50 million, let's say the other 50 million are going to be, you know, protocol incentives. And I think that's really where we're starting to get some traction and, and get people engaged.
I mean, that is like really the fundamental economic loop of any proof of stake networks. Like the whole, yeah. like when, when you take away proof of work, right. And to replace it with proof of stake, that that's what's left is you need people to actually do something. And those that don't do anything get diluted out. Right. Uh, exactly. That, that's like a very, exactly. It's a very simple, very simple concept, but I think it's a very useful one. What I, what I love about the space is like you mentioned 25 people and like, what's cool about this is we, the space has been around since like the, the old crash 2008. And it was just mm. like these people that are just have seen every kind of crash, both external and internal, like, <laughs> like over and over again. And like they're diehards. They're just like, yeah, whatever. We understand you totally screwed up, <laughs> right? You, you utterly yeah. fucked up. There's like a yeah. security flaw that like fucked the whole thing. But yeah. like, we see the vision, we see what you're trying to do. We'll just stick through this. Right. And that is like a, a really cool thing that I don't think is found anywhere else. I, I agree. And I think, you know, when you combine like intellectual curiosity, right. And, and, you know, tinkering and people who like to run experiments and, and test things and play with things and, and kind of engage with it. And you then layer financial incentives on top of it. It's an incredibly powerful mechanism. Right. And that's what we saw. We had these 25 people that were like, you know, we get this. And then all of a sudden the financial incentives kicked in where they're like, wait, if I get this, the more I get it, the more I get paid to get it. And it just that loop started and, and just, you know, snowballed from there. Do you, do you think like we have enough to like spread into the rest of the world? Like, like it feels like crypto is still just so insular, right? Like we haven't like broke out into like 300 million crypto users yet. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's obviously issues with that, right? Like 300 million crypto users would cripple all of the existing networks that are out there, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like, you know, all the networks that, that were, you know, that we're talking like Bitcoin would not do well with 300 million users, right? And even, I mean, this is kind of an interesting question as well, right? Like, you know, I'm I'm a massive, massive kind of proponent of this Bitcoin, uh, tokenized Bitcoin thesis, right, on, on Ethereum, um, you know, because like Bitcoin is not that useful, right? Um, it, it's a super useful asset, right? Like it's got these incredible security properties and, and everything, but you know, you can only really use it in these centralized platforms, right? There's no, and it's like this weird disconnect, right? And I think, you know, as we see tokenized uh, Bitcoin gaining some traction on Ethereum, uh, you know, it, it really creates a, a interesting dynamic where people are actually like, and we've got people in our community who are like, I actually moved my Bitcoin for the first time in like two years, right? It was sitting on a ledger or a tracer or whatever, doing nothing, being hodled. Um, and, you know, I, I tokenized it and moved it like using REN or, or whatever, um, you know, onto this, this AMM pool, right? And all of a sudden it's like earning money for me, right? And it's like yeah. the same thing again, right? Because these people aren't mining anymore. Like the mining days of like being able to do something with your Bitcoin or, or like learn something and mine and therefore participate in the network are gone. Like the, the economic incentives for someone to engage with the Bitcoin network, I think they broke down at some point. Like when mining became professionalized, the average person, you know, can't participate in it anymore. And, and all of a sudden you now have a way, if you're holding Bitcoin, it doesn't need to be 100 BTC. It can be, you know, half of Bitcoin, right? You can still take that, tokenize it, put it into somewhere where it can earn a yield, can do stuff with it. And I think that will start like a, a resurgence of like activity and hopefully all the people that are holding Bitcoin that have not done anything with it for years 
will actually realize that they've got a useful asset again and, and kind of pour back in. So that's my hope. And I think that's one of the big things. But again, that's still insular. That's still crypto people with Bitcoin. But even that wider group of people is huge compared to DeFi right now. Um, so, you know, there, there's an opportunity to expand, I think. Yeah. I mean, like, like I'm kind of a Bitcoin maximalist. Like, I think every, <laughs> everyone in the space is, right? Partly, right? Yeah. And like, you can think of like, you know, fiat is just like a layer two for Bitcoin, right? Or every like network, everything else that's not a pure proof of work, like strong assumptions about security, like that, those are not real competitors to Bitcoin, right? You're, you're starting, you're moving into this weak subjectivity land where the security assumptions are so different, but it's still interesting that you can take Bitcoin and effectively tokenize it on any of these networks, like you do with like Keep and Wrap BTC, and then that asset kind of gains velocity, right? Without really losing its security assumptions. You're still changing them, but it's it's a really cool thing that I think is completely new to this space that is not something part of the traditional financial system. Because yeah, when I like I give my money to a bank, I basically give up custody, right? Here we can actually maintain some control over it and some decision mm-hmm. power over where it's going. And like being able to leverage that and like, continue mining right or continue creating value from it is a i think a a really cool thing like that that is like something that i think is like you know like i don't know i just recently saw mary poppins with my kids and there's a stupid bank song where they're talking about hey you take your money give it to the board of directors and they invest it in useful things like we don't have that anymore (laughs) (laughs) like that was like a dream right like yeah okay i give my money to the bank right yeah. yeah a weird anachronism or something right yeah right like yeah i can take give my money to a bank and they'll build roads but that doesn't happen anymore right but like mm-hmm. i think in this space we actually see some of that like rap btc is providing like liquidity to to an open source project that's building better tools better financial systems and that, that is like i think really cool really unique to the space and like to me this is something that is is like a very powerful like part of the ecosystem that is like there's no chance that we're gonna fail right it's just a matter of time like from my perspective yeah i I, you know i'm i'm pretty optimistic as well i guess the the thing that is like an untested assumption is like how do we cross that chasm right like we still haven't quite done that um and and you know, almost nor would we want to, right? And this is this is kind of the, the issue that we've sort of seen, right? Um, you know, until we have scalability, uh, you know, even for millions of users, right? Forget about like, you know, thousands of like millions of users, you know, is, is definitely, uh, I think, a reasonable uh, kind of, you know, point to, to consider. But, I, you know, then we also have this interesting scenario where like, even if you think about, okay, like E2 scalability, you know, people, people are kind of waiting for that to happen, right? Um, there's a lot of other competitive layer ones, um, some of which are more competitive than others, obviously, um, you know, and, uh, and I think that you have this weird situation where we've got a lot of lock-in to ETH1, right? Like we now have these assets you know, and this, and like to your, to your kind of first point, right around, like, we've been doing this for two or three years. No one was paying attention. No, everyone thought it was bullshit. No one thought anything was real here. Right. And then all of a sudden you now have these platforms that require some kind of like monetary premium to exist in tokens, right? Whether they're a governance token or they accrue value or they're buy and burn or whatever the mechanism is, you've got these, these kind of 
economic sinks that exist, right? And I think it's going to be really hard to move them off. And that was that's kind of the thing that I've been thinking about for a while is like, how do you actually transplant the activity that's happened here gracefully, right? And this is a problem not just for, you know, a, another L1, right? Like, how do you build this ecosystem? It's a problem for Ethereum as well, right? Like, how do we translate this, you know, so we're looking at obviously, uh, you know, layer two scaling solutions on ETH1, right? But even that doesn't take us to millions of users realistically, right? Like not, not in the short term, at least. So we have this weird situation where we've kind of backed ourselves into a corner and built, you know, these these crazy uh, edifices that you know, are now there. And it's like, how do we how do we move them off? Right? So I, I don't even know that it makes sense to try and bring millions of users into that space like we we kind of we're in this weird uh situation so i don't have a good answer for that i think it's an unknown about how like what does the translation of that to somewhere else look like you know the transition uh across it's not clear to me yeah i mean like i I think we'll figure it out like i'm confident like to me this this whole space feels like my like i was a teenager in the 90s this will date me but 1996 was when i like built my first linux box and this was like two, like I think not one dot X. It was two dot X Linux. And I had like an MP3 player. I was like, holy shit, there's music. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And like this was uh, like an open source like build OS with crappy GUIs, but things that you couldn't do on Windows. And it was all like code that I could look at, and I didn't even understand any of it. And as the space like grew slowly, just people figured out. They figured out all the nuances and how to get it to work. And it just took like time to like kind of. I almost think of it. The, our main problem isn't the tech, or isn't even like the UI issues. It's just uh, migrating people's minds to like even understand that I have a cryptographic key, and that represents ownership of something in 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 the world, right? In our universe. Just for people to like get that, that like I have like cryptography gives me ownership, right? I think that's the part that's missing in the, in the human mind. And once we get it, like it, it was like when people got the internet and we had like six degrees and Friendster and we went from like dancing baby to like all of a sudden there's <laughs> 300 million people on the same network, which was like insane. Yeah. Like it went yeah. in one year, basically that happened. Yeah, I think, I, you know, I, I do feel like there is, and I talk about this a, a little bit, you know, there's, a, there's kind of an issue of we're very enamored in what we're doing, right? And we're very excited about it. And when people are doing something, and they're excited about it, they want to talk about it, right? And yeah. the cool stuff that we see is like the complexity. So we're like, look at how complex this thing is, right? It's amazing, <laughs> right? And people are like, what in the fuck are you talking about? Like, I, can't even, I didn't follow the first sentence, right? And, it, and it's like, actually, no, like, that's not how you, you know, get people to adopt something. You don't get them to adopt it by like scaring the shit out of them and saying like, look at this like crazy thing that I built, right? <laughs> you just say like, here's a very simple interface, right? Um, you know, your, your point around Friendster is like, imagine if you'd, you'd go on and pitch people Friendster, like this is like, uses these, you know, network routing algorithms to like <laughs> connect to everyone and like work out who you know in your like social graph. And they would have been like, I just want to talk to my friends, like just get away from me, right? And so, you know, if you abstract all of that away and just give you a simple interface where you say like, I know this person, they're like, you probably know this person. You're like, I do, that's amazing, right? Like that's the that's the user experience you want, right? And I think that we are still a ways away from getting to a point where like we can abstract away all of the complexity and 
we got to somehow unify, you know, your your point around like ownership and self custody and and like you know somehow find a way to unify that uh, belief and that value proposition with like lower complexity, right? Like get someone to like feel like an emotional attachment, to, like this is mine and I control it, and that's powerful without scaring the shit out of them. And once we can do that, I think we're in a much better place. Yeah, and it, that'll take time. I think it's just like, like I, I don't understand TikTok. I mean, it's funny, but I'm not. I don't spend <laughs> yeah, my I'm, life I'm, I'm too old. Right? I'm too old. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I like Nirvana and like Nine Inch Nails. I don't like the new music. <laughs> like that's that's my jam, right? So like, just people like people are set in their ways. Uh, they have a credit card, and they're not gonna get that the that credit sucks. That they should actually hold Bitcoin and then tokenize it and lend that. Like there's like a, there's a parallel there, right? Like this is my kind of crazy theory is that there is a possibility for us to go from like a credit-based economy to like a asset-based one where I have this like proof of work asset, right? That I'm like, I'm stacking sats, <laughs> right? I'm earning the, this thing, but I can continuously lend it out without actually losing it. And that part is like this, like creates this peer-to-peer economy, right? And like removes Visa and removes all these, like you know, the vampire squid from our lives mm. in, in a much more efficient way. And that is like a, I don't know, that's like a beautiful dream, right? If like, because to me, to me, like I think why the space is so crazy and why it's so hot, if people don't even realize it, but like twenty percent of the world's GDP is spent on just moving numbers around banks, regulation, like treasuries, all this stuff, right? That's one fifth, like one day, week, one day out of the week that you work, right? Literally one day out of the week that you work, you work on moving numbers around in computers globally. If like some network, I don't even care if it's us or whoever, just remove, like eats up all of that with software and we end up in that network just making half a trillion a year, right? It's the most craziest blockchain ever. That saves the world one day a week. Like literally, I can just not work. I, I can like have a three-day week, have same standard of living, right? And that would be amazing. But that that is like to me like the the crazy part about like what we're working on and why why it's so like exciting and like why people without even realizing it get like their mind just totally sucked into this. <laughs> I agree. And I think, you know, the, the range of possibilities that exist when you add something like crypto into, you know, into the mix as like an enabling technology, right? Like once you have these like self-custody technologies that can remove the need for intermediaries, I, I like, you know, predicting the future is very hard, right? Especially like, you know, out like more than you know a few months, right? Uh, and I just think I've got no idea what it's going to look like. Um, but I'm an optimist and I, I, I genuinely believe that when you combine this incredible enabling technology that, you know, potentially is more of an enabling technology than even the internet, right, into uh, the other infrastructure that we have, that really crazy stuff's going to happen. And I, I hope that a lot of it's good. Um, you know, I think a lot of us are, are pushing for better things. And I think, you know, giving power back to people uh, and, you know, and removing uh, these intermediaries and, and some of the, you know, the inefficiencies in the system can only be a good thing, right? Uh, now, you know, you, 
there's guys like Vlad, obviously, uh, you know, who uh, think that we're all fucked and you know nothing, <laughs> nothing good can ever happen, right? But like, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I, I genuinely am an optimist, and I'm, I'm optimistic about the fact that like maybe this will turn out okay. Maybe that's dumb. Maybe I should be more skeptical, but um, you know, I, I have hopes that like giving people power back will will be a, a beneficial thing. Um, I am like, I like especially this crazy downturn how little crypto was even affected by it and like how many companies survived even like being in the middle of it like the trading and the oracle failures and all the stuff that's that was supposed to like totally be the end end and demise of all these little projects and they're like okay shit went some shit went wrong but it wasn't too bad and we recovered and everything's fine <laughs> and in fact like if you look at like and nobody had to do like a four trillion airdrop to fix anything. We actually, <laughs> <laughs> us like as like little startups, we did way better than like all these established industries and banks. Yeah, I, you know, I think I think there is a robustness that kind of exists uh, in in DeFi now that's kind of come about over the last you know two two or three years. Um, you know, and like makers resilient, right? Like their you know their governance process is better than it was. Um, I don't necessarily agree with every decision that's made, but I think that's actually a good thing on some level, right? Like if I was agreeing with every single thing that, you know, the, the maker community uh, was doing, that would be weird to me, right? Because uh, I think there's, you know, different different goals and, and outcomes that, that they're aiming for. Um, but I, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, we can build uh, systems that maybe, you know, have less systemic risk in them. Um, I, I, I do worry that there is a lot of systemic risk in DeFi and I think, you know, it's the unknown unknowns that gets you right. Like yeah. I'm, I'm a bit of a, a, a Talibite and, you know, when I see as much as exciting as comp is and the launch of like the, the compound governance token, when I see the power of incentives like that to flow through all these connected systems, it really highlights the level of systemic risk that exists in there, right? And, you know, DeFi now is probably more connected than it's ever been, right? If something happens to almost any one of these protocols, there's going to be repercussions that will flow through the entire system. And that is the opposite of what you want, right? Like they're not fully cauterized yet. I think over time, you know, as these governance processes kind of evolve, we will be able to cauterize them a little bit better and have mechanisms that, uh, that are kind of uh, self-correcting but at the moment it does feel a little bit fragile and and i do you know i don't sleep as well at night as i did like a year ago even right like thinking yeah. about like oh, i've got like value spread across all these different things and if one <laughs> part of it goes wrong it's just this chain reaction that's going to blow me up so you know it's it's not ideal but i think it is kind of a, a phase that we need to get through um and, and hopefully learn from and, uh, and you know, kind of improve and iterate on and get to a point where we are a bit more robust. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, but like um, you mentioned, right, uh, what's his name? Nassim Taleb, right? Yeah. Like, but when you, yeah, so like that anti-fragility, um, I, think, I think it comes from electronics. You like, when you have a complex circuit and it's been running for like time T, your only best guest estimate is that it'll make it to like 2T at 50% odds. And this is including all the stuff that you simply, you simply, there's no way for you to do analysis to tell you that all these possible things that could fail have like really good approximations of their failure rates. You just don't know. Um, and, I, and I think part of that is like, not just the software itself and the technical risk and like all that stuff I think is almost easier to analyze, but I think, well, the part that is 
resilience that we've seen in, in Bitcoin and like now spreading to other communities is the community itself, like sticking around through the downturns and like these values and um, the actual, the wealth that's being captured by it, not being so like fragile as, mm. as you see in like the traditional banking industry where it seems like the, we have stuff that's a bit more resilient. And I don't know if it's because nobody is like a hundred percent relying for their like uh, daily, like food on, on crypto <laughs> where not a lot of people are right. Yeah. <laughs> like we are, like we are living on top of the rest of society, right? Like on top of the internet, on top of like Google and podcast or whatever we're using for podcasts, like all this stuff is already here. Right. And we get to benefit from all of it. Yeah, we haven't we haven't fully detached from like the the web 2.0 grid, I guess, right? Like it's just go like completely off grid, right? And, and I don't know if you can, you know, you still need uh, yeah. networks, right, to be able to, to yeah. you know propagate Bitcoin transactions, right? Like unless you're going to build satellite systems, right? Like uh, you know some some crazy maxis out there, which is is a cool <laughs> idea. I'm not even saying it's a bad idea. It's it's actually a good idea to have like a self contained like backup network in case like of nuclear Armageddon or whatever that you can still spend your Bitcoin. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely, you are kind of, you know, enmeshed in this existing infrastructure and, and, you know, it's hard to really see, uh, again, like I think you're know, predicting things is really hard. Right. And, and it's the thing that you, it's the unpredictable thing that has the highest impact. Right. And, and, you know, when something weird happens, uh, that's unexpected. And then, you know, there's this path dependency where it, like veers off to the left and you're like, wow, I didn't see that coming. Like, how could you, you know? Um, and so I, I think we still haven't quite had that, you know, veering off to the left moment, right? With crypto where like something, you know, some combination of things creates some utility, which like has this like breakout moment and everyone suddenly realizes that it's a, a great idea. Um, but it does feel like it's coming. The longer we survive, the the, you know, the closer we are to that moment where, um, you know, it really has utility and, and people go, holy shit, this is, this is a cool thing. So my, my personal view is it's going to come from something internal to crypto, not like a external thing. And this is why, like, I think a lot of this, like web two product and crypto stuff will fail, or at least like it's too early for it, you know? Mm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, we saw that all through, you know, 2017, right? Like, yeah. Windows plus blockchain or like, you know, literally like actual <laughs> windows, right? Like blockchain yeah, windows, yeah. right? Or like blockchain water, or lo- like any, any yeah. like thing that you could combine. Right. Uh, and, you know, in, in reality, I think the, the only, uh, even, you know, modicum of traction that we got was like finance plus blockchain. Right. And like, and that's yeah. the most obvious, you know, uh, thing that it's going to enable, uh, new, new coordination games to kind of be constructed. Right. But I, I maybe we get to a point where like, you know, there is some uh, wider utility for it. But, you know, to your point around, like, the amount of resources that go into just keeping money moving, right? You know, 20% of our resources, that alone is, like, a big enough thing for us to, like, really focus on getting that right and fixing yeah. some of the inefficiencies in the existing system, so. Like, I don't know what else I could be working on that could have that kind of impact on, like, anything that I care about. Climate change, like, human rights, whatever, like, removing that kind of like sand from the gears will like help everyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Maybe like, you know, building uh, an AGI overlord to like come and fix yeah. all of our problems for us. That's probably like <laughs> yeah. the, the only yeah. thing that will be like more effective. Right. <laughs> yep. Um, cool. I mean, this, this is super fun conversation. 
Do you have any predictions? I don't know. Do you do you like to do predictions? I I do, but I'm an idiot, right? So like I predict <laughs> things and they're like not even close to accurate, right? It's fun to predict things, but you know, uh, as like a, an entertainment exercise, right? Rather than like any actual use yeah. on this, I think. Um, you know, I I do think that uh, what's going on in DeFi has the potential to spread out into the rest of crypto, um, and you know. Price action is one of the biggest drivers and motivators of, of behavior, right? Um, you know, yeah. someone hears from their friend who hears from their friend who hears from their friend about, you know, little Johnny, the 14-year-old kid who, like, bought some balancer tokens for 60 cents and now they're worth, like, $60, right? And they're like, tell me about how that happened. They want to know, like, how could value emerge, you know, so in such a crazy fashion, right? this explosion of value. Um, and I think we saw that with the, the ICO um, boom. And to a large extent, it was worthless, right? It was bullshit. There wasn't anything real there. Um, but there was a core of maybe like three, four, five percent of the things that, that were funded by that that were actually real and are now starting to pay dividends. Um, and so I, I do think that it's possible we have uh, we have an influx of uh, you know new users coming to kind of like chase these yields and, and like yield farming and like trying to like work out what's going on here. And I think it will be more sustainable if that happens because you're getting people to come in, add value to an ecosystem, grow it, you know, add AUM, add, you know, assets, start lending, whatever they're doing, providing liquidity and getting paid for it. And that can be self-reinforcing in a way that like most of the ICO projects in, in 2016, 2017 just weren't, they were just like static things that didn't do anything. That's a good prediction. I, uh, I also like, I mean, people don't realize that the percentage of failed ICOs is probably better. We have better outcomes in the ICO boom than like traditional Silicon Valley startups. It's a bit scary. <laughs> it's actually a bit scary. Like, you know, I shit on, I shit on ICOs and like we did an ICO, right? Like, and I, and I definitely, you know, even at the time there was an element and like, you know, for the longest time, right, tokens were like just, you know, seen as uh, a terrible horrific thing right and like anyone who like had a token or did an ico was a monster basically right and like yeah you know we we had to kind of fight through that for a long time but i think we're now getting to a point where people realize that there is utility um you know to having a, a native token in, in an ecosystem if it's done right you know and and the fact that a thousand people did a dumb thing doesn't mean that the thing can't work right like that's a fallacy that you know just is is not uh you know uh, viable so so i think uh, i do think that we can get to a point where, um, you know, these, these new sort of nascent networks that are, that are self-reinforcing through like native token, uh, protocol incentives or whatever, uh, can, you know, get some traction. And, and that's, you know, I guess that's my hope, right. That, that, that will work. And, and, you know, we've got this like token renaissance now, um, you know, where people can come in and, and actually earn, uh, a yield in a native token and, and participate in the network. Yeah. Likewise. I, I like, uh, it's awesome. Like, I mean, I mean, this is like the such a better way to build software and to make it exposed to the rest of the world and to give ownership to everybody that's participating in the network. To me, this this whole space is like the open source dream come true. Like, uh, totally. It's awesome. Yep. And, and like, you know, to your point around like, uh, you know, success, right? Like, if you if you look at you know, how, I don't know, there were like 500 ICOs, like they raised more than, you know, a couple million dollars or whatever, right? If you took that cohort of projects, right, and, and looked at it, and I mean, you know, it's tough, right? Because there's there's definitely zombie projects out there that like seem like they're alive, but, you know, aren't really doing anything. And, you know, they raised enough money that they can kind of, 
you know, keep the lights on and, and look busy, right, without actually <laughs> achieving anything. Um, but even, you know, even if you, if you kind of like filter those out, there's at least 20 or 30 projects, right, um, that, you know, have some level of traction, right, and, and probably five or 10 that have like exceptional traction. And when you look at that, you go, okay, like five or 10, I mean, it still remains to be seen whether that traction continues, right? It could just be another blip in, in this bubble. But like, if that traction actually ends up, you know, having a meaningful impact on, on a wide range of people, that was an exceptional outcome. Like you would never yeah. predict that that would have happened, right? Um, you know, from, from uh, normal startup funding. So I agree with you. I think we're, we have the potential to exceed uh, Silicon Valley hit rates, um, but it's up to us to kind of actually ex- execute now. Yeah, for sure. And like, honestly, like there's a hundred Potomkin companies out in, in like with offices in, in San Francisco, like literally just keeping the website <laughs> up and doing nothing. <laughs> yeah. All, tra- all yeah. like panicking, trying to raise money now for like a product that nobody wants. So I, I think crypto is like doing way better than uh, people give it credit for, despite like all the, all the giant failures. Um, I think honestly, most of the bigger failures like R three, like it's it's more opportunistic. Like again, like let let's take the external world and <laughs> and shove crypto in it, like people did with yeah. the internet in the nineties, right? Like mm. tons of like traditional companies would just announce, hey, like Kellogg is now on the internet. Like didn't mean anything, yeah. right? Like it's, yeah, yeah, it's junk. Cornflakes on the internet. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, but you know, one of those is Amazon, and they kick, they kicked ass. Yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. Right. You know, you only need a couple of uh, a couple right. of hits, right, to really change the yeah. course of everything. So, we'll see. We'll see. I, I'm, you know, again, I, I'm an optimist. I, I you know, maybe a, a dumb optimist, right? But like, I do believe that um, you know we will have better outcomes in the next like three, four, five years than we have now. Um, you know, and uh, and I think that we can you know hopefully contribute to that. We'll see. Are you guys worried about like minor extracted value yet or like those kinds of attacks? Um, it's interesting because we're getting to a point where there is a lot of value uh, in DeFi, right? Like, and, and Bitcoin is the one that scares me a little bit. Like as, as bullish as I am about tokenized Bitcoin, it could very easily dwarf the, the kind of, uh, you know, um, uh, value that's on, on Ethereum. Like it's not, it's not hard to imagine 10% of Bitcoin flows into Ethereum, right? It's sitting there. It's on exchanges. It's, it's you know, there like there's active Bitcoin out there, right? If that amount of value flows onto uh, Ethereum and, and starts being, you know, transacted, then, you know, you, you have uh, some potential issues there, I think. Um, and, you know, if we're already at whatever it is, you know, a couple billion dollars worth of value, right? Locked in, in DeFi protocols right now. And this isn't, you know, late 2017 and is more like early 2016, then, you know, that's going to blow up to 20, 30, 40, 50 billion dollars, right? By the time the, the cycle sort of plays out. And that's a scary amount of value, I guess, to, uh, to secure, you know, particularly when you start talking about like L2 stuff as well. So um, are you guys worried about miners extractive value? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think there is the potential you know, going back to the Bitcoin point, right, about tokenized Bitcoin, um, there is a potential for, uh, you know, a ton of value to flow onto uh, these DeFi protocols, right? Even just Bitcoin alone, right? Like if, if we just tokenize Bitcoin. Um, and so, 
you know, when when we look at that and then look at the fact that we've got, you know, a couple billion dollars or three billion dollars worth of value uh, secured in DeFi protocols already, you know, if this is going back to like the 2016 versus 2017 moment, if this is 2016, then, you know, that could balloon out to 50, 100 billion dollars, right, by the time the cycle plays out. So uh, I think that that is a little worrisome, um, you know, in terms of the, the amount of value secured, um, you know, against uh, the kind of uh, native value in, in Ethereum. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that plays out, I guess. Um, but, you know, we're, we're already looking at like L2 scaling, right? And, and you know, there's, there's different uh, challenges and trade-offs there. Um, and, and we're looking at ways of kind of mitigating, um, you know, MEV as well. So it's, it's something we think about, but it's not like, it's not my biggest concern, I guess. Got it. Yeah. I mean, th- this is where, like, there'd be dragons, you know? <laughs> like, the, 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 this is where, like, the hopes and dreams meet of computer science meet the reality of human greed. And I'm, I'm really curious how these things will play out. But I'm not too worried because I don't think we're going to see this, like, rapid deterioration where everything just falls apart. We'll see minor minor setbacks and like solutions that will come out that will kind of solve these problems. Um, I'm just not sure where these setbacks are going to come through, but really like really interesting, really interesting computer science problems plus like human coordination problems and trust assumptions. Um, because what we see in like Bitcoin land, right? Binance got hacked for forty million dollars worth of Bitcoin. Mm. They could have published a transaction that pays out like twenty million in fees to roll back those blocks, but they didn't, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, it, the, there's still like this part of anti fragility that isn't just the tech, right? It's the people involved too, right now. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's you know, uh, like we have a, a bigger problem, I think, which is like participant extracted value right like where you know and i was talking about this with uh, we saw it yesterday with balancer where um you know we now have this like liquidity uh you know yield farming stuff right um liquidity incentives and ftx said oh that looks interesting we'll take i think it was like i don't know 20 million guys. 50, <laughs> yeah like 50 million dollars worth of like their own tokens and you know the rules for like how you could extract value from this thing were like a little bit loose, right? And it's, you know, it's only the first couple of weeks of this rebalancer. Uh, but, you know, people are uh, brutal, right? Like it's a very adversarial and, and probably more adversarial at like the, uh, the smart contract layer than at the mining layer because the cost of, you know, getting into the system and the switching cost to go to the next protocol and exploit that is really low, right? Like you don't live yeah. there, um, you know, in the same way that miners do, right? Like if miners like shit, you know, where they eat, they're they're in trouble, right? There's like blowback from that. Whereas you have these people that can kind of go from protocol to protocol, extracting as much value as possible. Um, and, you know, FTX did that and it ended up getting resolved and it was kind of fine. Um, but, you know, there was a bit of tension there, a bit of a standoff for a while. Uh, and, you know, I think that as we try and incentivize the, the protocols building on top of L1, uh, there's going to be a lot more uh, of these inefficiencies and, and value leakage. And we had this in synthetics for a long time, right? Where like people were front running, uh, our oracles and, you know, I, I've never actually done the, the full numbers to kind of see, cause it's, it's very messy and, and hard to kind of work out, but, uh, it, it's 100% in the millions of dollars, right? What the value that was, uh, that was extracted over the course of, you know, a year of front running uh, activity. So, you know, there's, there's a lot more of that. And I think that that 
has the potential to kind of stymie innovation because people will get uh, risk averse and and you know tighten things up. Uh, whereas I think miners are, you know, more of a, a participant and a, you know they've got more buy in and skin in the game uh, than you know someone who who just has you know a few hundred thousand dollars with the USDT and is just going from protocol to protocol and and fucking them. So that's that's like such a beautiful concept. That like the miners themselves are far less likely to be assholes. Even though, if if you're if you were ever a miner, like it is such a crusty, don't trust anybody else. OG space. I know, right? That, that community is like actually maybe less. Uh, there's fewer trolls there, maybe because yeah. all the trolls die. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know they're they're like it's a professional thing, right? Like they're you know, they're, that's their, like, their livelihood, right? Like, their their business model is based on, you know, keeping these networks alive, right? And so you've got, like, meta coordination above, you know, the the implicit rules, right? There's, like, these kind of social, this social layer of rules around, like, you know, let's not all, you know, go rogue, right, and, and blow this thing up because, you know, it'll it'll uh, kind of kill the, the value that we built. Um, whereas I think you've got participants in, in DeFi protocols that have none of those considerations, right? Like they can just turn up and they can blow something up and it has no impact on them. Um, they're not bought in. Uh, so, you know, we've definitely seen uh, a lot more like value extraction at the protocol layer, uh, I would say, than, than, you know, I even worry about like at the mining layer for sure. Do you guys have anything that you want to like plug or anything like that? Um, the only thing, the only thing that we've got is uh, next week we're launching binary options, uh, which is is going to be really interesting. Um, so uh, you know there'll there'll be the ability to kind of uh, uh, place bets on uh, like Bitcoin prices in in the future and stuff uh, with binary. So um, that's a cool product that uh, that's launching uh, next week. That's that's all I've got basically. This has been like an, an amazing talk, man. You're awesome. It was super cool to talk to you. I'm like, yeah, I, I so love fun. the stuff that you guys are working on. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me. It was it was great being on the show. Um, and uh, I think the one thing to kind of look out for next week, we're launching uh, binary options. Um, so you know, you'll be able to uh, essentially take a position on like, you know, will Bitcoin be over 10k uh, at the end of the year, for example. So uh, that's really cool new product that's uh, that's coming out, and we think uh, a lot of people are going to be interested in. Uh, trading it awesome but that's really cool um i don't trade but i'll uh, i'll try to take about <laughs> a bitcoin <laughs> over being over ten thousand by the end of the year but like really cool to have you so it's a super fun conversation uh, thank you for being here yeah thanks so much I, I had a great time it was really really fun 